We're in a series in the book of Job. We're calling it My Ugly Priest. And uh, if you're not familiar with the word ugly around the vineyard, you haven't read our book called The Power of Ugly. We mean it in the most endearing way. It's not in a, a uh, uh, superficial appearance. It's when we use the word ugly, we mean somebody that's real, broken, flawed, human, just like we are. So normal, uh, you know, not, not perfect on any level. So Job uh, can minister to and has ministered to thousands of sufferers over the years. Uh, and, and, and he didn't know it as he was living it that I'm going to be a powerful example to many people over there. So he's a priest in the sense that he, he brings us to, to, the, to, to God in a way he struggles to find God. And he says some really bold things to God. And I love his honesty and his relationship. And so if, you're, if you haven't, you want to catch up, you can go online. We archive our messages. Uh, last week was a pivotal message for us. It's one of those every couple a couple times a year, God will deposit a message on a church. That was last week. It was, a, it was strategic about why we worship and, and Job's experience of losing everything he ever worked for, all of his money, his 401k, all of his investments, all is gone, gone in a day. In the same day, he lost all of those that worked for him, all his employees, all of his servants, gone devastation. And then finally, he loses 10, all of his children, 10 children, one day, 10, wiped out. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it, the, the book is inviting you to enter into his world and his pain, but it also pulls back the curtain that he didn't know that's going on behind the scenes and this, this contest, this conflict between an angelic being that's rebelled named Satan and the God of the universe. And so chapter 1 ends with Job on his face saying, Blessed be the name of the Lord. I came into the world naked. I'm going to leave the world naked. Blessed be his name. I mean, it's heavy-duty worship. It's worship that there's no feelings, emotions. Remember, the whole wager was that the enemy said, God, Job only serves you because you give him good stuff. You bribe him. To follow you. And that was the implication is that, that, that if you take away all the good stuff, he's going to curse you to your face. So God allowed the enemy, removed what the Bible calls the hedge, and the enemy came at, but God said, you can't touch his body. So relentlessly, he's assaulted by these attacks, and the enemy uses willing, wicked people to bring murder, violence, mayhem on everything he owns. The devil uses people, uh, and we often don't get that in, in, in the world that we live in. Some are willingly saying they're already wicked, evil. Some are just deceived, but he, he uses people. We're going to see that again this morning. We're also going to see that one of his favorite tools is sickness. So I want to pick up the story. This is after, I wouldn't even call it round one. It was four rounds. Uh, and, and I can't, it's almost cheapens it to put it in that sense of a, a, of a fight like that. But he's had four massive blows with losing 10 children being the last. And now uh, there's another gathering uh, of the angels in heaven. Chapter two, we get the curtains pulled back. Remember, he knows nothing of this and never does in the book. He finds out about it when he dies and goes to heaven, but he never knew any of this stuff went on behind the scenes. 
chapter 2, verse 1, on another day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came, differentiating angels and Satan. He was an angel, but he rebelled. He wanted to be like the Most High. That's why what we just did, he hates more than anything. It was when God's getting the attention. Jesus is being worshipped. He wants, he doesn't care if you worship a rock or a toad, as long as you're not worshiping the living God, because he deflects it to himself. And so he's gathered with these angels, verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, very similar to chapter 1, he says, have you considered, or where you come from? Satan says, yeah, I've been around. Back again, he won't be direct, he won't be up front. Satan answered from roaming through the earth, going back and forth, verse 3. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he, say it with me, still. Some of you didn't say that. Come on. Let me read it again. There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still. This is God bragging. This is poking the devil in the eye. It's like, yeah, you took your swing at him, didn't you? You thought he would cave and curse me. He not only didn't curse me, he fell on his face and he worshiped me. Now, come on. This is, this is big league worship. This is where there's no emotions, no feelings. The circumstances are opposed. And he comes on his face and he, and he worships God. Now, God says he still remains faithful. And then he says this, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason, is the same word in the Hebrew as in chapter 1 where the devil says to God, does Job worship you for no reason at all? So God takes it back and puts it in his face. He said, for no reason, Job didn't deserve it. He's what you would describe as a innocent sufferer. The only one that you could match him to would be Jesus. And we're going to look at that in a couple weeks. And you can start looking at it as you go through the book. How is Job in ways like Jesus? You're going to see at the end of this chapter that his suffering is so great, his friends show up, they don't recognize him from his suffering. There's a comparison to that in the book of Isaiah that talks about the suffering servant of the Lord being marred by a suffering. We'll talk about that with Jesus in a couple of weeks. But in this context, that this is Satan is just, there was no, there's no reason for Job to have suffered. There's an innocence here. It's not perfect. Job's not a perfect man. He's not sinless. But remember, their theology is, you're going to see it in the friends, is that if you do bad things, bad things happen. The law of karma, as you'll hear some people talk about it, it's demonic. It's a misapplication of the Bible truth of what you sow, you'll reap. There's truth to that. Sowing and reaping is true, but when you make that the only truth and you push away redemption and mercy and forgiveness and kindness and love and, and, and you lock God into a rational, good people get good things and bad people get bad things. And that's just not the Bible theology. Now, there are times that bad people, bad things happen to them because they're bad. There's bad people that good things happen to. And we, the, the world doesn't struggle with that. You know, it, we, we, we struggle a lot with good people having bad things happen to them. 
So Satan is now, he's not, he's not giving up. He's relentless. And so he says in verse, <clears throat> pull it up here, four, skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. You stretch out your hands, strike his flesh and bones, he will curse you to your face. Skin for skin. This is psychology from the demonic understanding of human nature. Satan has dealt with enough people that he understands our makeup is, because of sin, we put ourselves more important than anything. We put our survival and our self-preservation more important than anything. It's, it's just, it's, it's human now. There are exceptions. People do acts of heroic sacrifice, and there are exceptions. And, and, but, but normally, most people will do just about anything to protect their own life, their safety, their security. So the enemy understands that. So that's why so many people make so many horrible compromises, because they're protecting their own pride, their own kingdom, their own world, their own pleasure their own life and we're all we're all I've been guilty of it you're guilty of it if you've never seen it in yourself you really got some struggles with being self-aware because you'll there's that inner sense of of protecting yourself that you'll do just about anything and the devil knows that he knows the triggers to pull so he challenges God again basically it's the same argument job gave up all of his family all his possessions, but you know what? If you take his health from him, he will give up his faith. He will renounce you to your face, is which is what the devil has already done. He wants Job to become like Satan himself. And so, a creepy verse, verse 6, the Lord says to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands. Not good. I want to be in the Lord's hands. Please, Lord. I like that verse that says, no man can pluck us out of his hand. I, I need your hand, Lord. Please, God. This is a test, and it's a, an attack where the enemy is given permission, which he has to have. God's lowering the hedge another level, and he says, okay, you can go after his body, but don't kill him. Verse 7, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery, scraped himself with it, and he sat down in the ashes, which most feel was outside the city, the garbage dump, the dung heap. And he's out there in this misery of, and there's all kinds of theories, because when you go through the, the book of Job, you could pull out things like he loses his sight, diminished greatly. He has a horrible darkening of his, his skin is just d dried up. He's emaciated. He, he, he has pain racking. He has severe depression that, he, that comes in with this. And some see it as a, some form of leprosy and elephantitis. And there's theories, but we don't know. Because what it does is it leaves it blank for the other sufferers that are going to come along. They're going to have things that, you know, just, just it's a debilitating disease 
that's crippling and rocking his body with pain, scraping himself. And at one point, it speaks of worms in his skin. And it's just a, it's a, it just goes dark and dark. It's just a horrible reality. Now, now I want to just kind of pause for a minute, and I want to give you a little theology of sickness so that you can have a, a healthy view. Because sickness is never the way God, God never intended this planet to have sickness, which leads to death. Never intended. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, and therefore since then, human sin has released upon the human race sickness, affliction, disease, and death. And Satan specializes in it. Now, there are times in the Bible that it's very clear that God allows sickness on people because of their sinful, rebellious attitudes. Moses's sister, Miriam, who defied God and defied Moses. She was struck with leprosy. There are times when you can get assaulted with sickness and you got to look in the mirror and say, my lifestyle is opening the door to be afflicted with this sickness. But, but, but to make that a universal principle is what Job's friends do, and it heaps condemnation on innocent sufferers. It, 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 it puts on people, you have cancer because you're a sinner. And that's just not Bible theology. That's not kingdom of God. Now, we understand from Jesus in the New Testament, whenever he met sickness, he never put his arm around and said, boy, you're my friend. Oh, cancer, you good old boy. He dealt with it as an enemy. He dealt with the woman that had 18 years of bondage from the enemy, Satan, and he, and he rebuked it and set her free. There are times that healing comes by spiritual warfare and discerning that this is an affliction here that's beyond medical. There's something going on beyond. Now, that doesn't mean every headache is a demon. I mean, I, I never forget, I had a friend, I was discipling him, a dear friend. We went and visited this gentleman that was racked with cancer. And, and just, I'm, I'm praying Jesus is healing. All of a sudden he goes, in Jesus' name, come out, you demon of cancer. Come out, come out, you demon. I mean, he went on. And I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't want to. So I got done. Again, I said, dude, what, what, what was that? What do you, did you sense there was a demon there? I didn't, I, I didn't have any, I'm pretty good at sensing when something is, is there's, a, there's a warfare going on. There's a, there's a, he goes, well, he has cancer. I said, yeah, he has cancer, but that doesn't mean he has a demon. See, when you make those connections, you bring things on people that is unholy. Now, there can be afflictions that come from darkness, but you have to discern that. And you can't just use generalizations and either, you know, so, but most of us err on the side that we never take authority against things. Never take sickness in as a friend. Never, well, you don't ever go, oh, Lord, thank you that my kid's sick. Thank you, Lord. I just bless this sickness. It's, a, it's, a, it's an invader. It's not normal. It's not the way it's going to be. Jesus, every time we lay hands on a sick person, we're telling three things. Number one, we're telling that person God loves them in spite of them being sick. Number two, we're telling them sickness isn't the way it's going to be. And number three, it's not going to be the way it's always going to be. So he may heal it then or it may come in the days in the future. So because Job has this this sense of surrender in, in this chapter where he says, to, to his wife, should we receive good from the Lord and not just and not also trouble, disaster? That doesn't mean that you receive sickness as a gift from God. Now, God can use sickness, 
to refine us, to grow us. But it's not that he likes sickness. It's that he's bigger than sickness. And he uses, like for example, I heard the story of a couple the, uh, that new believers in Jesus, excited about the Lord. And, and they had their first baby come. And you know how excited. And he goes to work and he's bragging at work. And God heard their prayers. He's given them a baby. And, and he's got this rough uh, union boss that's just godless. And, and so their baby's born and it comes out. She's severely handicapped. So he goes back to work and he shares it. They find out. And, and the boss says to him snidely, he says, you know, my wife and I don't believe in any God and our children are completely healthy. What kind of God would you serve that would do that to a child? And you know what their response was? Because when they were out, what would you say to him? What he said to him was, I'm just grateful that God gave her to us, not you. <laughs> it's okay to give it back. That's okay. There was nothing evil about that. Poke him right in the eye. Poke him right in the eye. God trusted us with this. But to have a concept that God somehow is punished. I've met a lot of people over the years with special needs children, and they tend to be some of the sweetest people on the planet because they have to pray through things. They have to press into God. It's a challenge. And, and, and so, so sickness is not a blessing. Blessings can come out of it. Good things can come out of bad. doesn't make bad things good, though. So as we go through Job and his sickness, and even though Job never asked to be, that wasn't their concept then. We know in the New Testament we're to lay hands on the sick. In fact, we're going to do it at the end of service today. We haven't done it in a while corporately. We're going to pray for sick bodies just to poke in the eye to say, no, you know, because it's easy to give up on faith when you don't see it happen the way you want to. And we've had a week like that. Last week was a horrible week with friends of ours that she went to be with Jesus. And after massive, massive prayer, um, it was just one of those grueling, uh, uh, broken. Uh, they had her memorial Friday night and Teresa Loveday uh, is, is with the Lord. And, and uh, somehow I managed to take my marker out of my spot in my book, which is never a good thing. That's why weakest ink is stronger than the strongest memory. I tell my staff that. If you're not writing it down, you're not going to remember it. So John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard, my wife and I's mentor from, as a spiritual father, his best friend, one of them was named David Watson. I have some of his books in my library. He was an Eng, a pastor in England, and they were dear friends, and he got uh, liver cancer. And John brought team because back then the vineyard was rocking with healing. God was just doing really cool stuff. And, and Wimber was especially anointed. And, and uh, so he flew out to England and they prayed over him. And the Holy Spirit showed up on the guy. And Wimber never pronounced people as you're healed until it was confirmed by evidence that the sickness was gone. It's never faith to pronounce something because you think it happened until you see that it has happened. We don't do that at the vineyard. We don't go, oh, we prayed for you. You're healed in Jesus. Yeah, but my back still hurts. Nope, you're healed in Jesus' name. That's just denial. We don't do that here. You can go to other churches and do that. It's pretending. Pretending I'm healed, but I'm really still sick 
but that makes me feel better or you feel better. Maybe we're trying to make God feel better. I don't know, but it's dishonest and we don't do it. If you're still hurt, you hurt. If you're still sick, you're sick. So Wimber has this, he, he gets worse and he flies, they have people in his church and he pastored in Anaheim, Orange County, um, and the, where the original vineyard was. And he brought this uh, David Watson and his wife out and they had teams praying pretty much around the clock for him. And they'd seen God touch livers before. And so in this encounter, one day at the end of the visit, I had a long, frank conversation with him. Up to that time, he had still been making plans for the coming year as though he was not ill. David, I said, you're a dying man, and you're denying it. I know, he said. Unless God sovereignly intervenes, you will die, I said. Go home. Get your affairs in good order. Your faith in Christ has been a constant source of encouragement to me, but you have to acknowledge you're dying. David said that whether his health improved or not, his trust in God, don't forget this, will not be shaken. Then I walked over and put my arms around him, and for the first time since he knew he was ill, he wept. John, he then said, if I die, promise me, that you will not stop preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and praying for the sick. I assured him that I would continue. David was not healed. He died in February 1984. Perhaps no one with the exception of David's wife and children is any more disappointed than I that David was not healed. I do not know why he was not healed. I lost one of my dearest friends, but I have continued to pray for the sick, and I always will. And of course, he's now joined his friend in heaven, uh, John Wimber. Now listen to me. We do not lay down and roll in sickness as a friend. We resist it. We fight it. We pray against it. We go to doctors. It's not the way God wants us to be. So don't receive it Stand against it. Learn to pray for one another. Learn to believe and keep believing. Don't stop. I prayed 20, 30. Keep praying. And it's not. Now, there come a time where God says it's time to come home. You change your prayer because it's a better healing, a different, because we look to the resurrection. It's coming. So we're people of faith. And we're not going to give up because we get casualties. You don't give up a war because people get shot that are on your side. Say, oh, let's just give up because there's casualties. No, you keep fighting. You keep praying. You keep believing. Now, Job, is not a, it's not, he's not a model of just passive acquiescing to whatever happens. I just take it on. There's times you stand up and say, no, this is evil, and I'm not going to receive. Now, he does it to his friends. He'll have to do it to his wife. There are times that you have to stand up to things that aren't of God. So here's Job, racked, tormented, sick, lost it. Now all of a sudden, here comes Mrs. Job. Chapter 2. Not Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Job. And you guys are old. Verse 6, let me just catch up. Then the Lord said, very well, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out. From the presence of the Lord afflicted Job. He, 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 he loves to have factories that produce COVID. He, he blesses that. Satan does. Germ factories, wherever they are. 
he, he delights in chemical warfare and, and inventing more things that can destroy the images of God, the dark side. I'm not saying every physicist is, is demonic, but, but they can be. And they use the knowledge they have to in, invent diabolical things that they want to unleash on this planet. And that's from darkness, and we've got to know that. It's not from God. These aren't judgments of God. He may release and allow it, but the enemy's bringing it. He's the author of sickness, disease, and death. So Satan put painful sores, and then Job took a piece of broken pottery, scraped himself as he sat among the ashes, and here comes Mrs. Job. Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now listen to me. Let's put Mrs. Job into context because she's had a hard beating uh, over the, the last couple thousand years of the book of Job. And, and many people have just beat up on her. Uh, but let me just say, you got to back up and put yourself in Mrs. Job's shoes. She's lost everything Job's lost, everything, everything they've worked for their whole life. She was, rose her head up in the community and had the greatest man in the East. Uh, that she had reputation gone. She had possessions and wealth and treasures gone. Not to mention 10 children that she bore nine months. That's 90 months of pregnancy that she bore. And then she raised them, nurtured them, cared for them. Now, just I just can't, there's nowhere to put the magnitude of the pain in her life. Now, add to that a man that she loves with her whole being. She loves her, and then she knows he's unfair. Look, and all she can, she's angry. She's angry at God. She's angry at whatever's causing this. In her mind, it's gone. And she's bitter, and, and she, she's, not, she's not meaning to be a vessel of the enemy, but she becomes one because the words she speaks to Job are the very words that she never heard that Satan twice now has said to God. The enemy can inhabit our thoughts. He can influence our feelings. He can, he can make us say things sometimes. If, again, if we're not discerning and if we're not, and we have open doors like in her case. She's, she's, she's disillusioned. What's, what good has your faith done, Job? You sacrificed every time for the kids and they're dead. What good is faith? It's nothing. Why pray? She's in that crisis. She's, she's disillusioned. She's disappointed. She's depressed. And she loves her husband. And she just wants him to stop screaming in pain. So just end it, Job. Basically, she's counseling him to commit spiritual suicide. You know, suicide is a, is a horrible, horrible thing. All of us have been touched by it. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible, horrible, and, and, and the enemy is so crafty and so good, he can get us to the place where we think suicide is a good solution. It's a way to solve my problems, relieve my pain, get back at somebody that's hurt me, it's, it, or the world will be better without me. And, and the reality is suicide puts a, a blanket over the family that is unintended consequences of a selfish choice to, you know, and there are some churches that teach that suicide is an unforgivable sin. That's not Bible. That's not Bible. Now, I'd like to teach that just to scare people out of not doing it, but it doesn't work that way. People that teach that, their churches have just as many people that commit suicide. 
especially in the Catholic Church, that, that it's unpardonable. And let me just help you. One bad choice doesn't define a whole life. I've done too many suicide funerals where people that I knew loved God that just came to a place in life and they made a horrible choice. I've made horrible choices. There's many people that made, and to say that it's unforgivable. Now, is there consequences? Yes. Or is there going to be accountability to God about taking your destiny in your own hands? Yes. It's not a good path to meet God in. I'm not saying there's not going to be massive consequences, losses of reward, and, but I don't see God. i never forget the movie Martin Luther. It starts with this poor widow woman's son had committed suicide, and they wouldn't let her bury him in the churchyard. And he dug up the body, and he went into the churchyard, and he buried him in the mercy of God. And that's all any of us can count on is the mercy of God. We make horrible choices sometimes. And sometimes you can't get the bullet back in the gun or the pills back in the bottle. And there's a euphoric feeling sometimes that people have when they plan to commit suicide. I have a dear friend. He used to be the fire chief in Cape Coral. And he had a gun to his head, cocked. And he had a feeling of euphoric peace came over him. And he literally heard the words, it's all going to be okay. And then he got the word Jesus out of his mouth, and he started sobbing. It was a demonic, false peace. Satan is the angel of light. He counterfeits. He, he deceives. So in the book of Job, you'll read commentaries that I get to do, and, and many of them will say, from this chapter on, you never hear about the devil again. You don't hear about him because he's speaking through Job's wife. He speaks through Job's friends. Now, not everything they say, and it doesn't make Job's wife a wicked, evil, godless woman. Look at how Job responds. Husbands, what a great, or wives, if you're a husband, if you flip it around, or whatever, your spouse in marriage, when they fail, and she's failed here. But look at his tenderness. There's compassion in his response to her. And he says to his wife, and in, 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 in verse 10, he replies, you're talking like, like. He didn't say, you wicked, foul blasphemer. He said, you're talking like a foolish woman. In other words, stop. Stop. You know better, Miss Job. You know better. You're, you're believing lies right now. These are lies. Dark ones got in her ear, worm tongues, drilled a hole into her brain. And it's a, listen to me. She's in good company because the apostle Peter who made the great confession of faith to Jesus? You know, and he said, hey, you're the rock, buddy. You're the man. Just a few verses later, Jesus talks about going to die on the cross. And look what Peter literally, I don't know that it says he grabbed him, but I say that because it's better preaching whether it's true or not. I don't know. But Peter, the big fisherman, I could just see him grabbing Jesus by the shoulders and saying, No! You're not going to die on a cross. No, Jesus, I won't let you. And Jesus responds in Matthew. He doesn't say, Peter, get your head straight. He says, Satan, get, did we put it up there? Matthew, yeah. Peter says, he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're not thinking about what God's will is, concerns. You're speaking on a human. Do you know Luke records when Jesus is on the cross, 
that first the religious rulers and the people scream at him, you saved others, save yourself. Then the Roman soldiers come up and they're, they're, they're dividing up his garments and they scream at him, why don't you save yourself? And then finally the thief on the other side of the cross says, hey, why don't you come down off the cross and save yourself and us? That's the same skin for skin. Jesus saved yourself, then he wouldn't have saved us, would he? We wouldn't have had communion this morning if he hadn't given his blood and given his body. If he'd have given in to saving himself, there would be no plan of salvation for us. Job, being like Jesus, does, chooses not to save himself. He chooses not to compromise, not to make a, 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 a deal so that he can get out. No. No, Miss Job. And you know, you know the back of the book that Job is restored to his friends. He sacrifices. We're going to go over that. It's rich, good material. But it says he gets double everything he had. Double. Except he doesn't get double children. He only gets 10. Well, Mrs. Job was grateful that he only had 10. Because by now, Mrs. Job is in her mid hundreds, 140, 150 years old. She's popping out 10 more babies. Some think, well, Job had a new, no. This is redeemed Mrs. Job. She's Sarah on steroids. Sarah had one in her old age. She popped out 10. And three of them, they emphasize, were beautiful daughters of Job. She's restored, redeemed. It's like the green mile, if you ever saw anyone go down that road. But anyway, I love this. It's just that, that, that goodness of God. If God restored Job to his miserable friends, why would he restore him to his wife? Of course they were restored. And, she is. and someone says, well, yeah, but they only had 10. Yeah, because the camels died and he had to get two of each because they don't go to camel heaven. Job's children went to heaven. He's going to go see them. He had 10, 10 and 10 make 20. Double. Double. He'll see him again. So Job says, kindness. He's not, he's, but he's being firm. I'm not going to give in to, the, you don't know, there's a, there's a darkness to what you're saying, Mrs. Job. You're, you're, you're being deceived. You're, you're, you're unwittingly being used as an instrument here. Now Job doesn't know behind it is the devil's breath that's been speaking to God that he'll curse you, he'll curse you, he'll curse you. And then Job says this. He says to Mrs. Job, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this Job did not sin in what he said. It didn't sin in any way, but he didn't curse God. Now he says, now again, this isn't fatalism where you just say, Okay, Sarah, Sarah, what will be, will be. Oh, I got a migraine. Thank you, Jesus. No, I rebuke that migraine in Jesus' name. God showed me the roots of where that's coming from. Is it something I'm eating? Is it something that's going on in my life? Is it an affliction from the enemy? Use some discernment. Step up. Fight it. Job's not, it's not this passive yieldedness. He's just saying to God, He's not going to, listen, when's the last time anybody ever came outside, you just got a bonus, and, you know, you, you just, 
everything's going on good in your life, and it's sunshine, and it's a beautiful day, and you go outside, and you started screaming at God, why? Why such a good day? Why are you so good? Why me? It's not fair. Why have you been so kind to me? I'm an idiot. Why? Why? Anybody done that? Maybe. I had a friend that uh, was a terrible cocaine addict, and his biggest struggle was when life was going good. That's when he would go use because he felt guilty until he come to find out God loves you. God loves you. He got Lou Gehrig's disease after getting baptized, not because he was baptized, but not long after he got baptized, gave his heart to Jesus. He died within the year or so after. Uh, it just It's a brutal, dark, wicked, vile disease. Wicked. God wept. God wept. We prayed. Didn't get healed. But he's with Jesus now. So I just say to you, you know, we we, we got to be people that that praise God, you know, in the storm, out of the storm, in blessings when life's really hard. But again, it's not thanking God for evil. It's thanking God that He's bigger than the evil. That God's bigger than cancer. God's bigger than heart attacks. God's bigger than car accidents. God's bigger. I don't understand him, and I, don't exp- I can't explain him. And the purpose of the book is not to explain it. There is no explanation. The explanation is you have to have a trust in God even when you don't understand. And that's what he's saying to his wife. She comes around. I'm convinced of that. Job is still just beginning the journey of test. He's got two more big ones to come. His three friends show up. They're good at first, and then they turn out to be wicked. Good and wicked mixture. And then the final test that we'll talk about. So I just hope that this gives you a sense of, of that we're in a battle. It's not passive. You have to stand. You've got to resist. We resist evil. Sickness is evil. People that are sick are not evil. Now you can have times where there is sickness that is directly related to choices you're making. And you've got to own up to that. And you've got to say, Lord, have mercy, forgive me. And God can use those things, but doesn't mean that that's ever the way. God uses death. But it does. He never wanted death's an enemy in the Bible. Jesus defeated it, conquered it. And the resurrection will prove it. Remember, Christ died for us. That means he died for your, your bodies to be whole, as well as your soul to be right with the Father and forgiven. He cares about every part of your being. When we pray for sick people, which we're about to do, it's our way of reminding that person that God cares about you and your pain and your suffering. He cares. If we don't do anything else in prayer, if we accomplish that, that's a big deal because many people feel unworthy. They feel God's mad at them. They feel like the God's getting, you know, punishing. And the sickness, and it just, it, it, we want to remind them, God cares about you. Amen? That's why we pray for people. Getting healed is a bonus, but our first heart is, that's why we're not beat people up with our faith church, where we condemn people and smack them around and 
say you didn't get healed because you got lack of faith or you got, you know, something wrong with you. And, and we, we're not that kind of church. We want to exude mercy and kindness. Second of all, we pray for sick bodies because God never intended for us to be sick. It's not the way the world is meant to be. So we pray, and, and there people get healed now. And what it points to, though, is there's a day coming that there'll be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death, no more curse. What a day that will be. Come, Lord Jesus. But in between, we got to fight. Don't give up. Stand in there. I know I've got people watching online right now with terminal cancer. You fight. You stand. Now there come a time in that fight where you turn your focus. You don't give up your faith. You just say, Lord, it's time to get my bags packed, put my house in order, and it's time to go home. And I turn my prayers that way. And that's not a lack of faith. That's just trusting in the providence of God. And we don't have answers. Why this person and why not that person? All we know is we're called on to believe in a God that heals the sick. And we want to pray for the sick today. And we want to see people get healed. We want to see bodies get better. We want to see people get relief from suffering. But then there are those that you've got to suffer through it. And God suffers with you. He's a merciful father. If you think he's looking at his son, scraping himself and he's going, yeah, yeah, this is good. He's weeping. He wants to put his arms around him. But that ruined the test. I'm sorry, Job. This is cruel. This is unjust. But it's something, it's a crucible. It's a cross you've got to bear. Same thing when Jesus was on the cross and he died. Jesus was crying out, where are you, Father? And God wanted to wrap his arms around him, take him off that cross and save him. But that was the purpose of redemption, so he wept with his son, knowing resurrection's coming. We kind of live in that Friday suffering, Saturday silence, Sunday, new day coming. It's a rhythm. I like when God shakes it up a little bit, and we skip Saturday and go right to Sunday, and we see God intervene, and that happens. And I don't want to ever be a church that gives up on that. So on our watch, we're going to pray for the sick. Amen? We're going to believe. We're going to resist evil. We're not going to roll over. But at the same time, we're going to, I shall not be shaken. When I read that quote, it was so powerful to me because it's in February, which I didn't see till the first service, but it was many years ago. But it had two connections. One, it was liver disease that he died of. That's what our friend died of, Teresa. Number two, family in our church whose daughter died, 25. Listen to their hearts. They're in the hospital in Utah. She's brain dead. Brain dead but they want to donate her organs. And so they're playing the song that we're going to sing at the end of the service. I shall not be shaken. I shall not be moved for the Lord God. So they're playing it in the room and they're praying. And her organs revived because of the things she took affected her organs. 
Now, I'm thinking, what would I have done? I don't know. I'd be more like Mrs. Job. I can't judge her. That would be me. Take 10 of my, take all my kids, grandkids, everything. I, I, I don't judge her a bit. I thought she'd handled it pretty well, actually. That's better than I'd have done, probably. I hope for better in me, but I know there, it, and if I got a, a, a 25-year-old daughter that, that's died, and, and your prayer is, God, let her organs get strong enough so they can be given to other people. Wow. Who does that? Believers. They're not psycho wackos. These are bright people. These are, she, Terry used to manage three hospitals. Ernie was in a special uh, uh, disarming big weapons in the military. And they're, they're, they're just simple people, though, that love Jesus and they're singing. And they, they get to pick a song in the ER. You're not in there, obviously, the family. But when they harvest the organs, take the organs, you could pick, pick Johnny Cash, Ring of Fire, or whatever. It doesn't matter. They picked Not Be Shaken. So they get to walk down the hall with a body, and it's lined with nurses. An honor of what she's, they're, they're giving for others to live. And they put her in the ER for hours. The doctors are in there, and the nurse is hearing, I shall not be shaken. I shall not, for the Lord God is, what a witness. What a witness. What a witness. And then I read that statement in Wimber's book that David Watson said, John, know this. If God doesn't heal me, I will still trust and not be shaken. And I'm going to say that to us as a church. Whatever you go through, whatever you face, when you've got a God like Job did, that he trusted even though he completely didn't understand. He wasn't shaken to give up his faith. Now, he was rocked, he was struggled, but he never gave up his faith in God. Let's stand up together. Now, here's what I want to do. And we filled the front in the last service, and I expect to do it the same. If you're here and have a physical ailment in your body, and you want to see Jesus heal it, come make your way to the front. Just stand up here. Make room. Come all the way up. Make room. If you're on our prayer team, been trained, we're going to ask you to kind of, don't start praying yet, but just kind of get around where you can pray for people. Uh, so if you've got a physical need and you need prayer, come on. All across. I, it, it. Just come to the front. Stretch out. And, and if you're coming for prayer, move up. If you're not, then you can move over uh, in the front row. Just, just come on and stretch out right here. Face us. Press up to the front. There's more coming. And we're going to need some praying people to get around. And uh, they'll get to you. So don't be in a hurry, okay? Don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry. Give the Lord a few minutes here, okay? I'm going to first pray. Invite the Lord to come. If you feel comfortable, if you put your hands at your side, just to say, Lord, I want to receive. Come, Jesus. Lord, we ask for your presence to come. Christ died for us. You died for every one of these people here. You died for their bodies to be whole. 
So Holy Spirit, I just pray you'll come. Remove any feeling of unworthiness because none of us deserve anything. It's grace. So get it off your mind that you don't deserve healing. The enemy says, oh, you don't deserve it. Then you agree with the devil and say, it's not about earning it. It's a gift. Some of you may have something that you have discerned that, that there's some evil attacking in your ailment. And you, as I take authority here, you just agree with me. Lord, if there's anybody here afflicted by a spirit of darkness that's brought sickness, Lord, I pray in the blood of Jesus over them, and I command it to loose its hold on the body, the mind, the back, the spine, in Jesus' name. You just, if you felt like a, like a, a battle going on in you when I said that, then you just agree. Say, Lord, release me of anything that's wicked. Release me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Release them, Lord. Release them. Come, Lord. Now, Father, we just pray for your mercy. Remind these folks you love them. You care about their pain. You care about their pain. He cares about your pain. And Jesus, lift it. Lift the pain, Lord. Lord, let those limbs move where they're not moving properly. Lord, release arthritic conditions, God, that are racking the body with pain. Release that arthritic inflammation, Lord. Come, Jesus. Lord, there's people here that have been suicidal in their sufferings. Take the hopelessness away. Put the fight back in them. I rebuke hopelessness and despair that I'll never get better. Because we know, Lord, there's a better day coming where we're all going to be healed. So come, Lord. Just wait on the Holy Spirit. Let him come. Don't be in a hurry. At your seat, you can stretch out your hand and be praying for these. We're going to get to them. Come, Jesus.